gets colder My eyes go thin as I get older Piece in pieces Bloody and bruised I feel so helpless and confused Cause I hear screaming on the left Yelling on the right I'm sitting in the middle trying to live my life afternoon. This is Evelyn Pringle. Welcome to Focus on the Facts. Patricia Negron is my co-host, and for the past two years, she has been my partner in crime in the battle to stop the global pedophile epidemic. Today, Trisha and I are going to cover the takedown of the Hollywood pedophiles and sex trafficking networks and focus on the duration of the open pedophilia taking place in Hollywood over the past 40 years. We will discuss the length of time that the Hollywood pedophiles have openly operated in full sight. We'll start with director Roman Polanski and then discuss Michael Jackson, Brian Singer, and R. Kelly and give the details about how long these pedophiles have been allowed to sexually abuse children in this country and open traffic the children on a global level. Thousands of children have been sexually abused by these monsters, and the people in this country have allowed it to go on for over 40 years. We'll also discuss the latest news in the Jeffrey Epstein Global Six Child Sex Trafficking Networks and the elite politicians, celebrities, and world leaders who are involved and are set to be exposed with the release of court documents hidden for years from all of us. In the latest court hearing, the judge said that Epstein and his attorney, Alan Dershowitz, were both involved in Epstein's child sex trafficking networks. We'll also try to cover the latest development in, in the Nexium and the John of God's child sex abuse networks, too. I'll bring Trish on now, and we'll start the show by first having her tell us about the latest world news, and the illegal coup in Venezuela, and then we'll get to the battle against the Hollywood pedophiles and perverts. Welcome to the show, Trish. Hi, Evelyn. So with the um, world news on Venezuela, you know, we saw recently the U.S. attempt to um, install Juan Guaido as president though he had never run for office and less than 20% of Venezuelans had even heard of the guy. And um, one of the ways that the U.S. is claiming its, its uh, legitimacy is by saying that 50 other nations are also recognize him while neglecting to mention that 140 do not. So... Right. Um, after imposing really um, brutal sanctions on Venezuela and making overt threats uh, against any countries that violate these sanctions, Venezuela has fallen under um, economic hardship. And uh, people, they're struggling because they can't get the currency they need. The Bank of England stole, like straight up stole over a billion dollars worth of the gold, Venezuela's gold bullion. And... Um, so now the U.S. attempted, when Maduro refused to give up his office after a month, Guaido left the country claiming to fear for his life, though he had already been in country after declaring himself president for an entire 30 days without ever being harmed in any way, though he is facing indictment and arrest for his subversive activities, which are you know, here for all the world to see. And so when that didn't work, the U.S. attempted to um, 
another covert operation, which we've seen play out in Syria and many other countries where it attempts to um, deliver weapons and break through a border using uh, materials that are disguised as humanitarian aid. And so the U.S. concocted the story that Maduro was starving his people and denying them humanitarian aid that the U.S. just wanted to give them. And meanwhile, uh, Maduro had already accepted over 900 tons of aid from Russia and China, its allies. And um, Max Blumenthal was one of the journalists who documented the toothpaste that CNN claimed did not exist in Venezuela Max Blumenthal also went to one of the markets where this um, aid was being sold below market prices in order to make it accessible to Venezuelans. And, and he reported seeing hundreds of people come in and leave with bags full of goods, which means they were able to afford them. Well, right. he, he put out YouTube videos, and, and I watched those videos that he took down in Venezuela. They were really good that he showed us, yes. you know, and he, and he showed it, you know, how they're out there claiming, you know, they won't let them bring in toothpaste, you know, out there at, on that bridge. And, and then he showed them there's all kinds of toothpaste here in the yes. stores. Yeah, it, it's straight up propaganda. And, you know, for people who find that hard to believe, you need look no further than a single article about how the Pentagon spent eight, $540 million of U.S taxpayer money on a single contract with British PR firm Bell Pottinger in 2006 to create Iraq war propaganda, even after it had already been proven that the weapons of mass destruction was a lie. And this included, this contract with Bell Pottinger included the creation of fake terrorist videos. Those ones we saw on Western MSM with the guys in the jumpsuits were made in a studio using our tax dollars. It was straight-up propaganda, and that's what we are seeing, too, with Venezuela. Thankfully, yeah, they're with doing the, the same thing you know, with Venezuela now. Yeah, same thing. And, and thankfully, Evelyn, it's the efforts of people like yourself and thousands more who have joined the effort in the last several years that have been able to capture video of, in fact, Guaido's people setting that truck on fire and making the Molotov cocktails. I mean, we have the, we have indisputable evidence that it was Guaido's people doing it. And, and we forced the New York Times to come out a week ago and admit that it was Guaido's people who set fire to that truck, though they blamed Maduro. Meanwhile, yeah, the um, media reports out, are still saying it was Maduro, right? Right. You, you know, that's the only <sighs> thing is that while the New York Times did admit that it was Guaido's people, the the mainstream press will continue reporting it as that Maduro did it. I mean, they're, they're utterly bought. William Colby, he was a CIA director back in the 70s, I think like 72 to 76 or something like that, um, is on the record saying that the Central Intelligence Agency owns everyone of any significance in the major media. And that is a simple fact. We know this. We know that the individuals who stand to profit 
from invading these countries are the ones that control all of the mainstream media. We are being lied to. And so now, not only were we able to show that it was, in fact, Guaido's people who set that truck on fire, we were also able to document that the humanitarian aid turned out to be wire, nails, and gel. Like a terrorist dream come true. So, yeah, as we saw in Syria when Serena Shim documented the CIA smuggling in thousands of terrorists and weapons inside World Food Organization trucks into Syria, this was another Trojan horse. And the U.S. uses it over and over and over again. And thankfully, were it not for WikiLeaks, we would not have documentation of this from the government itself that USAID is deliberately used as a mechanism um, for not only economic terrorism by withholding aid, for example, but working with covert groups on the ground to smuggle in weapons and mercenaries. This is well documented. You know, Dilyana Gatinzieva, a Bulgarian journalist back in 2017, documented an anonymous hacker um, got the 350 bills of lading from one of the embassies in the Mideast. I think it was Azerbaijan. I can't remember. But they, they documented the entire cargo for 350 flights that the Pentagon paid used to smuggle $2 billion worth of weapons to terrorists in the Mideast. We know they do this, and that's what's going on in Venezuela. The parallels are indisputable. Venezuela has the largest oil reserves in the world, and they have openly stated that they want to get at those, and they have openly stated that they want U.S. corporations to control them. And Mike Pompeo and Marco Rubio are both have sent out public messages recently directly threatening the life of uh, Maduro. Can you imagine the outrage here in the U.S. if some foreign leader did that about Donald Trump? I mean, and then over the weekend, a general went on the record on Fox News stating that they would put that Maduro's only way out of Venezuela is with a bullet in his head. Oh, this is so, so tell outrageous. me who the dictator and the American is. American people listen to this? And, yeah. And I guess we're going to let them get away with it because uh, how can we stop them? I mean, the latest uh, report, out, I think it was yesterday or Friday, is uh, that the U.S. is banning any um, international criminal court personnel from coming into the United States to investigate United States war crimes. Yeah, in Afghanistan specifically, yes. That's right. Yeah, and we I said there's nobody that can stop the U.S. from slaughtering people all over the globe. It's to that point now, and they come yeah, out right, right on TV, right on TV, and say that they're going to put a bullet in Maduro's head. Right. Us American people, what are we supposed to do? Well, that's the thing, Evelyn, is that we, you know, we've been so programmed and conditioned to believe that we have to rely on these institutions to answer these questions, when in fact it is those institutions that are protecting these people, and we as human beings have every single right to stop them ourselves. We do not need anybody's permission. 
We have every right to protect ourselves and our families from these people and to do whatever is necessary to stop them. We don't need a court to tell us it's okay. The evidence is overwhelming. They are on the record. We know enough to arrest them and, and prosecute them ourselves. That's the thing. We, and we need to get there. France is leading the way with this, you know, the Gilet Jaunes um, protests while they're being characterized as racist and anti-Semitic in, <clears throat> on, the pre- on the mainstream media. What it really is about is um, throwing off this oppressive system. Humans are the only species to have to pay to live on the planet. I mean, like how twisted is that? There, it makes no sense. And so they're proposing direct democracy, and they want to govern themselves using what they're what is called their um, citizen referendums, where the French people propose legislation that then the French people themselves vote on. And those are that really? our equivalent here in the U.S. is a ballot initiative, and we have everything in place to just do that. We. we we have everything we need to just start doing that right now. We just have right. to get people. Because, yeah. Yeah. Cause like I explained last week, you know, we can't get our Congress to stop this, stop this global slaughter no. because they're all invested in, they're all invested in arms factories and illegal yes. trafficking in these arms. And they're supplying arms to the terrorists and to the countries. They're supplying arms in all of these global movements to take out, you know, leaders. And stuff. Yes. And the thing is, they're not. They want to keep this going because it's not only they supply the weapons and the ammunition. Now the, they also supply all the goods for keeping all these weapons up to date and everything. Right. You know, all the supplies to redevelop them. Our members of Congress. I'll, I'll bet you at least half of them are invested in these arms cap. And half of them are deciding you know, whether to take our country to war. Invested in in weapons companies. Supplying yeah. these ter- terrorists and these are all the armies. They're supplying all the weapons, and that's why we can't stop these wars. Yeah, because yeah. our members of Congress are profiting so much off of this. They don't care how many people are slaughtered all over the globe, and that's why we can't stop them. Well, no, and and in fact, not only do they not care how many people are slaughtered, they want to maximize the number slaughtered. Yeah, in truth, yeah, this is genocide. Right? Yeah, global genocide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the Hollywood perverts, they're involved in this grand war profiteering scheme, too. They were the ones that put that terrorist organization, those white helmets over there in Syria, made them into heroes and even got them an Academy Award. You know, and Donald they're the ones Trump, over there Don- harming all the kids, all the people. They're, they're harvesting organs from those tens yes. of thousands of children. They're taking the yep. organs. And Donald Trump just gave them another five, $5 million dollars to the white helmet. Jesus, yeah. And see, we see what's going on now in Venezuela, you know, and the, and the bit is, you know, that everybody, you know, wants to blame, blame it all on Trump, you know. But the thing is, like you said, this is going back so many years of them trying to overthrow Venezuela. You know, this did oh, not that- start with Trump. Yeah, there's a document, again, <clears throat> WikiLeaks. What would we do without WikiLeaks? And remember, Chelsea Manning is back in jail because she refused to yeah. testify against Julian Assange, who is being framed by the U.S., okay? So back right. in 2010, apparently there was a group, I can't remember the name, um, that was hired 
by the Pentagon to produce a proposal for attacking Venezuela's electric grid. Specifically, this is 2010. And guess who was part of that program? Who? Guaido. Back in 2010. Really? And we know this because of WikiLeaks. It is documented by the U.S. government (sighs) itself. Yeah. It's undeniable what's going on. And that's why, again, it's like we have every right to arrest these people. We do right. not have to sit here and let them continue. They, they are committing genocide. It's not like they're an imminent threat. They are, a, they are an existing threat. They are killing people day in and day out. And we have every right to stop them ourselves when our systems fail us the way they have. Right. Well, I know it's just horrifying. Now, they knocked the, they knocked the power out down there and, um, in Venezuela, right, for yes, quite a while, about right? 70% of the population. The U.S. attacked at the main, um, and, and at first the U.S. blamed Maduro, of course, like cutting off the power sure. to his own people, like blowing up infrastructure they had just built. This was all updated right. infrastructure, okay? And so they, they destroyed the main distribution center in Caracas, then they... Uh, used an electromagnetic attack to destroy the transmission lines out to the um, communities. And then they blew up um, local transmission stations. But many people have been um, gotten their electricity back. But the U.S. is... Um, now attacking the water and other infrastructure, which right. is what they do everywhere because they try and make the population suffer. And that is a war crime. We do that everywhere. It's going on in Yemen right now. It's going on in Palestine and, and Syria and Iraq and Libya. It's, what, it, it's an MO. It is a war crime. And it is publishing the population at large in an effort to coerce them to support the coup. Right. You know, and, and, and I wonder, you know, people don't understand this. We destroy these, the infrastructure in these countries. You know, how would the United States feel if somebody came in and destroyed our infrastructure, knocked out all our electricity and poisoned our water? You know, this is the stuff yeah. that the U.S. is doing right in plain sight. And Americans better wake up and understand what they're doing. And then, well, and then there was too. a report last week. I seen a YouTube report of I forget who it was, but it was a government official basically yelling at reporters for not calling Gordo the, the president, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Opposition Demanding. You know? Yeah, that they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then they said, well, we're just correcting, you know? And then one reporter spoke up, I think he was a reporter from the Associated Press, you know, and said, well, who's, who's saying he's president? He said he's president. We're supposed right. to call him president because you tell us to? Right. He's not president, you know? Right, and... Uh, and they claim, you know, say, oh, well, 50 other nations were browbeat into recognizing him. Well, 140 others do not. Right, right. And that you know, that reporter was, pointed that out. Yeah, that you're saying that, but right there, all the other U.N. companies do not agree. Right, right. Now, Russia's, yeah, no. Russia's pretty invested in Venezuela, isn't it? 
Yes, because remember, Russia is building its gold reserves for an uh-huh. alternative currency to the U.S. dollar, and they're very, very close. Um, Russia and China are, are collaborating on this. And so uh, Venezuela, in addition to having the largest oil reserves in the world, they have the, lar- the second largest gold reserves. And so that's another reason why the U.S. wants to invade. And so oh, really? um, Venezuela has stopped selling its oil in U.S. dollars and is now selling it in euros. And um, Russia and China are already trading, doing their bilateral trade in each other's currencies. And other nations are now Turkey, Iran, and um, a number of South American countries are are reaching out to Russia and China to participate in this new system because also at the same time, China, uh, Russia has developed an alternative to the SWIFT system, which is a financial clearinghouse through which every single financial transaction had to go um, previously, and it was controlled by the U.S. and used to seize the assets of target nations like Libya just days before the U.S. invaded they stole hundreds of billions of dollars in assets from Libya using the SWIFT system. So this is an alternative to that, and it already has um, more traffic than the U.S. system. So many people view the U.S. as a threat, and they're actively looking for safe havens. And, and this the currency is one. This uh, alternative to SWIFT is another. And the third is that the um, Russia is also developing its own Internet that's independent of the one we use here in the U.S. And really? they're very, very close. They tested it um, just weeks ago, and uh, it appears to be very close to being um, complete. So Venezuela is also now relying on this um, financial clearinghouse system. You know, it's pr- it will rely more and more heavily on Russia for protection. Russia had sent some bombers there in December um, right. just as a show of support, but the bombers left a week or two later. Um, but Russia has pledged to support Venezuela and Maduro, and so has China. So they, you know, an overt military invasion will be very, very difficult for the U.S. to to pull off at this point because Colombia has backed out of that. And, oh, has it? Um, yes. And, but Colombia is hosting a dozen bases controlled by the U.S. right there next to Venezuela, and the U.S. is conducting operations out of those bases. But... Um, and there was another country that was just like, we're out. You know, they don't, they're, the Lima Group. The Lima Group was created in Canada just a month after Pompeo opened the Covert Operations Office in Venezuela in July of 2017. Um, the U.S. began its formal coup efforts. And then just weeks later, 
Lima group formed in Canada specifically to overthrow Maduro. And then weeks after that was when Venezuela announced that they would no longer be selling their oil in U.S. dollars. So this was, you know, a a series of events that are clearly linked. But Lima Group was a key piece of the coup um, effort and has since backed off from supporting a military Invasion. So, but I mean, the U.S. is continuing. Like I said, they're attacking now the water infrastructure. They're still, you know, conducting terrorist attacks in there. And they're going, like I said, this general over the weekend just, you know, flat out said, you know, he's going to get a bullet in his head. It's like these guys need to be freaking strung up, honestly. They're psychopaths. Who says that kind of thing? Seriously. My God. I think Trump. I don't think Trump, I really don't think Trump really thought he was going to get elected. And he's dropped right in the middle of this grand global war profiteering scheme. And I don't think that he agrees with this stuff. I mean, in his campaign, he said, you know, he was going to get us out of these wars and stuff. And then when the first time that he said we're taking troops out of Syria, everybody rolls up against him. You know, I don't think that he is invested in these arms companies. I don't think he is profiting from this war profiteering scheme. Yeah, his motivation seems almost entirely driven by his campaign donors like Sheldon Adelson, for example. And he'll do whatever Sheldon Adelson wants him to do. And that includes a lot of continuing these wars. And that's why he lets them go on. It's what his billionaire donors want. Yeah. So give us the latest on what's going on over there in Israel, and then we'll swing into the pervert. Israel has been actively bombing the Gaza Strip. Remember, Gaza is the most densely populated city in the world. There are 2 million Palestinians trapped in Gaza behind a razor wire fence erected by the Israelis and surrounded by hundreds of snipers. Palestine has no military with which to defend itself against these bombs, and those trapped in Gaza have no means of escape. And what has happened recently is Netanyahu is facing corruption, three corruption indictments. He's lost his coalition in the Knesset in October and was forced to dissolve it and declare emergency elections over Christmas. Um, he's now aligned with this very right-wing group that has labeled a terrorist group by the FBI in order to salvage his control of the Knesset in the upcoming April elections. And war is always uh, a go-to strategy for Israel um, to boost. I mean, it is for the U.S. too to boost uh, chances of re-election. And so, you know, his language, his rhetoric is very aggressive. There has, you know, the Palestinians have no military or and no means by which to attack uh, Israelis. And um, yet Israel has claimed that Hamas fired missiles into Tel Aviv and used that as a justification for openly now declaring that they will slaughter Palestine. And they've done this already several times. We know they'll, they'll make good on the threat, if, especially if Netanyahu thinks it will save him. Right now, though, he's in trouble. He, he really messed up because 
in a desperate attempt to salvage his reelection campaign, he exposed Israeli intel- an Israeli intelligence operation in order to embarrass one of his opponents. And so now, not only did Netanyahu's police chiefs unanimously recommend him for indictment, okay, we're not talking a couple or half, unanimously, okay? These are his own police chiefs. His attorney general has now said that he will be indicted on these corruption charges. His own attorney general. The Israeli people have been protesting him for more than, for over a year. He has his own yellow vest protest to contend with, and these are strictly related to the corruption, not the treatment of the Palestinians. Israel is an apartheid state, officially. It's getting huge blowback now for its um, massive push to criminalize any criticism of Israel. And we now are seeing legislation going through the Florida state legislature to criminalize criticism of Israel. So think about this. Not only on the federal level is it being made a crime, our state governments have been so co-opted that they're busy pushing legislation to benefit Israel instead of paying attention to what Americans need, okay? So, Great. And we talked um, about this last week. This is so outrageous. Like you said, there isn't any laws that stop us from criticizing any other nation, is there? Nope. Or religion. Really? No, not even the U.S. It, 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 yeah, it, I was going to say, it, it, yeah, there's been any law from us criticizing the United States government. Right. No, it's it's a patently fascist move. And, and you know, for people who are like, ah, oh, come on, that's like hyperbole, I, I will direct you to a December 1948 open letter to the New York Times written by Albert Einstein and I believe 27 of his contemporaries, other intellectuals, many of them Jewish, most of them Jewish, I believe wrote this open letter to the New York Times, December 1948. This was 70 years ago, okay? Wow. Warning Americans ahead of Menachem Begin's visit. Menachem Begin was the founder of the Likud party. That is Netanyahu's party, okay? So it is the founding party of Israel and remains the leading party of Israel today. Back in 1948, this open letter warned Americans of Menachem Begin's fascist, terrorist past. Those are the words of these intellectuals writing the open letter. And they they talk about the fact that anyone who opposes fascism in the world could not possibly back Menachem Begin or his party's um, movement. That is the same movement that is in power today. That is Netanyahu's movement. So people are under the illusion that somehow this is related to Netanyahu. No, it is not. It is the entire foundation of the Israeli state, which is in direct contradiction to Jewish belief. It is part of the Zionist movement, which is a political movement by the banker class using subversion and deceit to loot the masses under veil of religion. And if you want to call that anti-Semitic, I point you to the Vatican, which is also a sovereign nation that is a theocracy that is looting the planet under veil of religion. And it, it not, not only is 
Israel siphoning billions and billions of American tax dollars from us every single year. So does the Vatican, using a secret concordat that gives them a percentage of American tax revenue every year. Right. And, and we've got to stop so, that, too. Yes. I mean, my God. Yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't step inside a Catholic church for all the money in the world today. Um, it is but, a so I don't, I don't give at the, I don't give at the, at the collection box in the Catholic Church. But then to find out that my tax dollars are going to support this global pedophile gang at the Vatican yeah. just sickens it me. It is a known child sex trafficking and pornography operation. We know that right. it is documented. The Pennsylvania police spelled it all out for us in a thousand-page report when they busted these six dioceses last year and reported that for 70 years, these 300 priests that were caught were grooming, raping, and videotaping their rapes and distributing them on church property. It needs to be shut down. It is a RICO operation. It is an absolute outrage that it is still functioning. And it is the same thing as Israel. It is the same kind of criminal organization that is used to siphon off money from the working class. And most of the money from both, you remember, Israel was established as a British government gift to the Rothschilds in 1917 with the Balfour Declaration. It had nothing to do with God. And God, this was you know, decades before the Second World War. This is a Rothschild movement. The Rothschilds are the ones getting most of those billions in American taxes that are going to Israel every year, and they're getting most of the billions that are going to the Vatican as well, because the Rothschilds lent the Vatican money, and so now most of it just goes back to paying the interest on that. Right. You have a good, you, you understand this complex financial dealings, you know. That's one thing over the years I don't. I've tried to go online and try to understand this financial shenanigans going on, and my mind goes blank. It just goes it, blank. Well, they, make it, they make it complicated and secretive Ugh. and all that for a reason. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's taken 20,000 hours of research on my part in the last four years yeah. to get to that understanding. And I spent my career in Wall Street finance, 30 years I worked in Wall Street finance, and I did not, I could sense it, I, but I did not understand it because it's just, it really is very complex because it's meant to obscure. It's, it's a political movement using subversion and deceit. And that's what all of this, that's the propaganda. That's the veil of religion. You know, they're hiding this political movement behind Judaism. And, and Jews will tell you it is antithetical. The, a state of Israel is antithetical to Jewish belief. And Orthodox Jews oppose an Israeli state. Now, what does Orthodox mean? These are these are people who adhere as closely as possible to the literal doctrine, and they believe that there should be no Jewish state until after the return of the Messiah. And so, until then, they are meant according to 
the church doctrine, of strict reading of the church doctrine, they are not to to be recognized, you know, via a state or land at, until that time. Oh, religion's too complicated for me, too. Yeah, well, you know, and again, it's used as, it's obscured, and it's also conflated with, you know, Zionism and um, anti-Semitism. And so, um, it, it's like, you know, Evelyn, this is, this is how deceptive it all is. Okay, so the Göttingen um, University gave an award to um, some individuals, some Germans, for um, their work to, toward, on Palestinian rights. Well, they okay. got browbeat into um, rescinding part of it. They're, they're giving the award, but they're not doing, like, the big presentation or any of that. Well, it just so happens that back in the 1700s, the Göttingen School of History was created by Zionists, and it was at the Göttingen School of History that the term Semite was coined in the first place. Okay. So this is a Zionist school. They, they wanted to use um, an academic approach to history, and so they started... This, this was part of the Zionist movement and the use of sem- the term Semite in the furtherance of that movement. And, and it was weaponized. So now you criticize Israel, you're an anti-Semite, right? You criticize Zionism, you're an anti-Semite. It was the Zionists what? that came up with that term in the first place. Wow. In order to use against people who criticize Zionists. Sure. This must be so hard for the average American to understand what is going on here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that the bottom line, the, really the bottom yeah. line, is that Zionism is a political movement. It has nothing to do with Judaism. And it's a, it's, it's a very destructive movement that is behind all of the violence in the world. It's the billionaires. Mm-hmm. Billionaires subscribe to Zionism. Nobody else does. Only the billionaires. And the Hollywood perverts and pedophiles all promote this. They benefit. They profit themselves. They get made famous. They get, you know, made icons. And that's their payoff. Sure. Well, today, uh, Trisha and I had talked before, and uh, we were going to focus on all the Hollywood perverts and pedophiles that have been taken down. You know, and um, but I think the list on December 17th was something like 144 Breitbart News would uh, report on the growing list. But then it was like, oh, man, that is so would be so difficult, you know. So then we decided, well, let's focus on the duration of time that the Hollywood pedophiles have been abusing children and go with the, some of the top ones that, you know, are caught up in the battle now. You know, and and then when Tish and I were talking, you know, I was naming the ones like Michael Jackson and R. Kelly that are in the news now. And and then she brought up Roman Polanski, director Roman Polanski, you know, and it was like, yes, he should be the first one. Because when we're talking about how long this has been going on, his first accuser is now known to have been in 1969 of an underage girl. 
And, so and his victims we, were as young as 10, was it, or 9 oh, yeah. years old? Yes. Yeah. So I'll read, I'll read out the notes that I had put down here. As a Hollywood director, Polanski won an Academy Award for Best Director for his 2002 film, The Pianist, and was nominated for 1974's Chinatown and 1979's Test. In 1977, Polanski was charged and convicted of raping and sodomizing a 13-year-old Samantha Geimer. The rape took place at the home of actor Jack Nicholson. Polanski fled to Europe the night before his sentencing after hearing that the judge planned to reject his plea deal and, and jail him. So for over 40 years, the elite Hollywood celebrities have traveled to Europe to work with the child rapist. In 2009, Hollywood and Europe's film elite launched a campaign to free Polanski. And when Polanski was arrested in Zurich in 2009 and U.S. authorities attempted to extradite him, more than 100 celebrities signed a petition to free Polanski, including Woody Allen, Harvey Weinstein, Martin Scorsese, Darren Aronsky, David Lynch, Pen- Penelope Cruz, and Tilda Swinton. See, some of these, I, I, do, I don't even know some of these people. You know, I quit watching movies and watching TV in the early 90s, and I don't even know most of these people. <laughs> so it was a pu- public relations stumble the industry never recovered from. But a debacle that makes more sense now that we know the truth about an industry that appears to be populated by abusers, their enablers, and their victims. Polanski's lawyers have been fighting for years to end the case and lift an international arrest warrant that confines him to France, Switzerland, and Poland, where authorities have rejected U.S. requests for his extradition. But in December 2017, the Los Angeles police opened a new investigation in Polanski after seven additional accusers came forward and reported that Polanski had molested a 10-year-old girl in 1975. The women, named only as Jane Doe's, were between 9 and 16 when the assaults took place between 1969 and 1976. At the time of that report, in December 2017, there were a total of 11 new accusers against Polanski. But there is no later news on that investigation, so we don't know where the investigation stands today. In May 2018, the Academy Awards announced that it voted to expel two prominent members convicted of sexual offenses, Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski, from its membership. But that's how long it took, 2018. Yeah. Well, and one I other mean, these, case that I thought ahead. of, Evelyn, um, that was at the same time there was this big push simultaneously by Hollywood to normalize um, child rape. And remember, it was, I, it was in 1976, I believe, when Brooke Shields was 10 years old and did a nude Playboy spread. Do you remember that? And then yes, when yes. she was 12, two years later or so, in 1978, she was directed by Louis Mal in Pretty Baby, where... She is a child prostitute. I mean, there's no such thing as a child prostitute, but she's, you know, her mother is a prostitute. She's brought up in a brothel, and uh, a, an adult man falls in love with her, and as she goes off as his, um, you know, mistress at 12 years old. Like, it, yeah, it, I remember when that so movie was, came out. And I remember that I, at the time, and I didn't even know about all the perverts and Hollywood and stuff. But at the time, I thought that was terrible. It showed, it's, it's yeah, showed her, her yeah. yeah, nude in this movie. And, you know, like I well, said, I wasn't aware of what's going on. But at the time, I was shocked. I thought, how can this happen? 
Well, remember the whole scene where she's brought in on a big um, tray by others to be auctioned off her virginity to the men in the room. Remember that? That's like one of no, the... No, I, I don't remember. I should rewatch it because, no, I don't remember. Yeah. I just I just remember I just was appalled. I just couldn't believe that they would have in a movie out in the mainstream media of a girl that young being known. Yep. 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 So, um, yep. so anyways, yeah, Polanski, we can't, we can't get him. And, but it takes him till May 2018 for the Academy Awards to announce that they're kicking him out. Oh, remember? Big effing deal. Oh. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good grief. Boy, that's just yeah. for all those poor girls. Oh, I know it. Oh. I know it. it. And so then the next one I got on the list, because this one, I, I kind of switched from underage girls to underage boys is uh, director Brian Singer. Now I'll read the right. notes that I had put down on him. Singer's in here again. I, d- I don't know nothing about this guy except all the reports and v- videos that I've watched. So his career began with the 1995 film, The Usual Suspects, for which Kevin Spacey won his first Oscar and has continued through the X-Men franchise. In 1999, the upstart digital entertainment network brought together a group of men whose actions could be at the center of a scandalous 15, year, 15 years later in 2014. Among the investors in that network, reportedly, were A-list director Brian Singer, veteran television executive Garth Ansier, former executive, Disney executive David Newman, who worked for Collins Rector Company, and producer Gary Goddard. Now... Fifteen years later, a man named Michael Egan III filed civil suits accusing those four of misconduct that could supply material for a lurid episode of Law & Order SVU. Specifically, Egan alleges that Singer, Antier, Newman, and Goddard drugged him and forced him into sex parties at in Encino in Hawaii, starting when Egan was only 15. The Hollywood Reporter claimed in 2017 that Singer's accuser, Egan, sent certified letters to Robert Mueller the FBI about the Hollywood pedophiles. Mueller ignored them and let the Hollywood pedophiles run rampant among the children. The latest edition of The Atlantic in March 2019 now claims that Bohemian Rhapsody director Brian Singer has been trailed by accusations of sexual misconduct for 20 years. He is the subject of the new bombshell report in which four men accuse him of sexually assaulting them when they were underage. The new allegations are just the latest and long list of claims brought against Singer over the years, ranging from inappropriate touching to rape. One of the new accusers claimed Singer fondled him on a movie set when he was 13 in 1997. Another claimed he was 17 when Singer had sex with him at a party at his house that same year, while a third man alleged Singer had sex with him when he was just 15. A fourth man said he had sex with Singer when he was 16 after meeting the director at a series of parties the man claimed were designed to link underage boys with older men. All of the victims noted that Singer was aware of their ages at the time that Singer was in his 30s. The victim account suggests that Singer didn't act alone. He was aided by friends and associates who brought him young men. And he was abetted in a less direct way by an industry in which a record of producing hits confers immense power. Many of the sources interviewed insisted out of fear of damaging their own careers that their names be withheld, even as they expressed dismay at the behavior they'd witnessed. Many victims said they were drugged with Percocet, Vicodin, Xanax, Valium, marijuana, and ecstasy. The victims in question were all left with psychological damage, substance abuse problems, depression, and PS, 
PTSD after their experiences. The abuse allegations against Singer were so well known that 4,000 student, students, faculty members, and alumni at the University of Southern California signed a petition asking the school to take Singer's name off one of its programs, the Brian Singer Division of Cinema and Media Studies, which the school did immediately after an abuse Seattle man named Cesar Sanchez Guzman filed his suit against Singer in December 2017. Singer was fired as director of the movie Bohemian Rhapsody in December 2018. And on March 15th, Singer was reportedly fired from a proposed remake of 80s action film Red Sanja in the wake of multiple allegations of underage sex. So here we are, March 15th and December 2018 and March 15th, 2009, he finally kicked Singer off of his... Uh, off of his programs. Yeah, I mean, and it's like, you know, they still end up working. They still end up working. It's incredible. Yeah, it's yeah and, you know, a lot of these victims, you know, have have died. A lot of them a lot of them went on to become, you know, drug abusers and everything and and, and have committed suicide and have OD'd on these drugs that um the damage that these Hollywood perverts and pedophiles have done to our young generation is absolutely horrible. Yeah. And yeah. we have got to stop. There's... We have got. Well, let me get down here to R. Kelly. Oh, gosh, we're running out of time already. R. Kelly, I'll read my notes on him. 52-year-old R. Kelly broke into the R&B scene in 1993 with his first solo album, 12 Play, which produced such popular sex-themed songs as Bump and Grind and Your Body's Calling. Kelly has written numerous hits for himself and other artists, including Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, and Lady Gaga. His collaborators have included Jay-Z and Usher. On February 22nd, a grand jury indicted R. Kelly on 10 counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse involving four victims, three of whom were under the age of 17. The alleged incidents date back to 1998 and spanned over a decade. Kelly posted $1,000 of the $1 million bond and was released. Over the past few months, Kelly has been the focus of numerous reports following the release of Lifetime docuseries called Surviving R. Kelly. It focused on the numerous domestic and sexual self-allegations against the singer from several of his accusers. For years, he has been accused of abusing and forcing underage women into a sex cult. Kelly was on trial for child pornography in 2008 and was acquitted. The jury in 2008 acquitted Kelly of child pornography charges that centered on a graphic video the prosecutor said showed him having sex with a girl as young as 13. He and the young woman allegedly seen with him denied they were in the 27-minute video, even though the picture quality was good and the witness testified it was them. And she did not take the stand. Kelly could have been sentenced to 15 years in prison for that. Charging Kelly now for actions that occurred in the same time frame as the allegations in 2008 trials suggest the accusers are cooperating this time and are willing to testify. The Associated Press reported on February 23rd that while on trial for child pornography in 2008, R. Kelly still found time to talk to fans, give autographs, and to meet an underage girl who later invited to his home. According to prosecutors, who depicted Kelly as manipulative and sometimes violent. The 16-year-old girl who attended Kelly's trial got his autograph after court session. He later invited her to his home in Chicago suburb of Olympia Field, where they had sex multiple times, which said, according to court documents, said he also slapped, choked, and spit on her. 
On March 7, 2019, the lawyer who defended R. Kelly in the decade of child pornography case said that Kelly was guilty of those charges and even received anti-libido drugs to help contain his version. On February 24th, music writer Jim DeRogatis told the AP, I think the big story that is going to get lost is the insanity until everybody steps back in 30 years. He told the AP that he has named four dozen women who alleged they were victims of Kelly, and he believes the investigation of the singers should be much broader in scope. He also reported that federal authorities in New York are investigating Kelly. The travesty is that it's taken almost 30 years to go, God said. Each count leveled against Kelly and the new charges carries up to seven years in prison, and the sentences could be served consecutively, making it possible for him to receive up to 70 years. Me Too activists and social media movement using the hashtag Mute R. Kelly are calling on streaming services to drop Kelly's music and promoters not to book any more concerts. Protesters also demonstrated outside Kelly's Chicago studio. So here's another case. The guy that reported this has been reporting on this on Kelly. He says it's been going on for 30 years. So here we are. And back there right. in 2008, 11 years ago, we had him and they let him off. So he's carried on ever since. Well, and you mentioned um, the, uh, the, some of these assaults being reported to Robert Mueller and him ignoring it. Remember, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was named as an FBI informant um, in his proceedings, and this was during Mueller's time as FBI director. So right. uh, he, he was very clearly aware of the problem and um, chose not only to not try and stop it, but to protect it. Right. Just let those pedophiles run free. And they don't yeah. care. You know, our government allows us. Our government did on this. They don't, they don't care. It's not, that, get- it's not even that they don't care, Evelyn. It's that they, they profit from it. They gain intel. Remember how, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, all these guys end up serving as informants for the FBI and CIA. And so they wire their homes. They, you know, they get people in compromising positions to be documented. And um, that information is used by government officials to then um, extort money or um, cooperation from the individuals to serve the interests of, you know, the billionaires behind all of that are making all of this possible and the ones really profiting from the child sex trafficking and, and most exploiting the children. Sure. And I, I don't know why people didn't wake up back in 1993 with Michael Jackson. Oh, well, it was actually January 1994 when he paid off the, that uh, Jordan Chandler, $23 million, $25 million settlement for $25 million, you know, in 1993. And, and, and at that time, man, I was watching a video on this yesterday on the, the boy that Jackson paid off. And um, they settled that. They had the criminal case ready to go to court and everything. And, and uh, then they, Jackson paid him off with that $25 million, and then the kid refused to testify. So the, the criminal case went down the drain. Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, the way it's reported, they never, you know, again, we know that they know this is a problem because remember in 2013, I believe it was, 
or 15, I can't remember, um, the Hillary Clinton State Department was reported by Chuck Todd on MSNBC for covering up a child sex trafficking operation that reached, quote, the highest levels of the State Department. Not that they were involved, but they were not only that they were involved, but they were covering it up. So and then nothing happened. I think all of us imagine that, you know, when you hear something like that, you're like, oh, wow. You know, some obviously people are not going to just do nothing. Right. You can't imagine that nothing would happen. And, you know, it's on the news. So, of course, something will be taking someone will take care of it. But it never seems to happen. Well, Trish, we did the show. It never seems to end the topic that we cover. So I'm sure we'll be covering it again next week. Yeah. So thank you much, Trish. And we'll see you next week, people. Bye-bye. Bloody and bruised. I feel so helpless and confused. Because I hear screaming on the left, yelling on the right. I'm sitting in the middle trying to